Welcome to the Vodcast. From middle school to high school, college, politics, society uses the mechanism of debate to hear conflicting positions on a subject, and those listening to the debate come away with a determination concerning which position is most credible. But an odd phenomenon has been growing over the last couple decades, and it has accelerated considerably over the last few years. That odd phenomenon is experts are refusing to debate their publicly stated positions when challenged by anyone, including other experts. When experts refuse to openly debate their position, my view is every thinking person should understand something shady is afoot, and the expert should be considered no longer credible. Let's take a look at a few examples. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. Let's start with this. Who are we talking about when we use the word expert? In the context of having a reasonable expectation that a person should be able to defend his or her publicly stated position, expert means the following. Those who are highly credentialed in a given field. Those who hold positions in government that affect or have the possibility of affecting the lives of millions of people. Those who hold high-level positions in well-respected institutions. Those who have spent time working in a particular field and assert those years in their profession provide them with special knowledge or insight not generally understood by the public. Those who teach or have taught a subject at an institution of higher education and publicly expressed a position on that subject. Those who have published papers, studies, research, or a book on a subject. Those who have spoken on any show or on, in any venue as a professional in a given field and put forth a position based on his or her status as a professional in that field. Those who are tasked with overseeing enforcement, public or private, of any policy or law based on the presumption that the facts underlying that enforcement are sound. Okay, now that we know who we are considering an expert, let's have a look at some of those refusals. Because I'm the author of Body Science, which reveals the lies about human physiology the establishment has told you for 60 years, and then provides you with the truth that's been hidden from you, one example immediately leaps to mind. Nina Teichels is a journalist who wrote the groundbreaking book, The Big Fat Surprise. In April 2016, Nina was invited to sit on a panel and speak at the National Food Policy Conference in Washington, D.C. The conference theme was Turning Nutrition Science into Policy. The main draw for the conference were three other panel members. As I tell you who they were, remember their names because you're going to hear them again in just a moment. Angela Tagtow. U.S. Department of Agriculture head of the 2015 Dietary Guidelines for America. Barbara Millen, chair of the 2015 Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee. The Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee is a joint project by the Department of Health and Human Services and the Department of Agriculture. And Margot Wutan from the Center for Science in the Public Interest. At this point, I should tell you the conference is sponsored primarily by numerous large food industry players, including the processed food industry. 
In other words, the conference isn't remotely about health. It's about selling the American people more of the same garbage that over the last several decades has caused America to be the most chronically ill society in all of human history. The unspoken purpose of the conference is for food industry executives to hobnob with key industry shills in the Department of Health and Human Services and the Department of Agriculture who have been purchased by industry lobbyists. These food industry shows lay the foundation for making the American public even sicker than it already is by ensuring the lies about nutritional physiology put out by the government and the food industry continue being the pervasive narrative, and thus the food industry will continue receiving trillions of dollars selling products that are making Americans sicker and sicker. Let's take a closer look at the three panelists I just mentioned. Angela Tagtow is all about plant-based diets which are destructive to human health and the environment. Tagtow has stated, quote, If dietitians are empowered to be the nation's food and nutrition leaders, dietetic education and practice must encompass the ecological, political, social, and economic implications of a healthy diet. <laughs> In other words, the Department of Health and Human Services and the USDA put a completely biased fruit loop in charge of updating the U.S. government's nutritional guidelines. Barbara Millen is the founder and president of a company called HealthMain, which advocates the now scientifically debunked notion that a healthy diet means reducing saturated fat intake. What is the primary source of saturated fat? Animal meat. Anyone who advocates reducing saturated fat intake is either ignorant or has an agenda. What reducing saturated fat intake is not is supported by the results of scientific research. In fact, just the opposite is true. Eating saturated fat is incredibly healthy and has nothing to do with heart disease. Whether Millen is ignorant or promoting an agenda, the Department of Health and Human Services and Agriculture made her the chair of the Dietary Guideline Advisory Committee. Margot Wutan was there representing the Center for Science in the Public Interest. That organization was instrumental in convincing fast food restaurants to stop using animal fat for frying. So, with what did the fast food companies replace animal fat? With the commercial version of vegetable oil, which science has known since the 70s causes a dramatic increase in cancer. In short, the Center for Science and the Public Interest pushed fast food chains to stop using healthy frying oil and got them to use a replacement that's known to increase cancer. Despite the name Center for Science in the Public Interest, since its founding in 1971, the organization has always pushed a political agenda. The inclusion of the word science in the organization's name is simply intended to obscure the fact that it is, in reality, pushing a political agenda. If they could support their agenda with science, this would be the perfect opportunity to destroy the credibility of one of the most high-profile adversaries of their agenda. But because their agenda is not supported by science, they couldn't do that. In fact, just the opposite would occur. With those three women being the big names on the panel, it's not hard to understand why they panicked when they heard Nina was going to be on the panel and took the extraordinary step of collectively threatening not to attend if Nina was allowed to join them on the panel. Nina is focused on an accurate and honest assessment of nutritional science and the conclusions for proper human health to which the accurate and honest assessments lead. In other words, Nina stands for exactly the opposite of what the other three panelists stand for. Worse yet, from the perspective of the other panelists, in the course of her research for The Big Fat Surprise, Nina became a walking encyclopedia of scientific research on human nutritional physiology. That meant that when Nina spoke, she would bring actual science to the discussion and in doing so would destroy the false nutritional claims made by Tagtow, Millen, and Wutan.
Nina would be able to put a spotlight on the fact that these shills were promoting an agenda that is anti-science. In short, Nina was a clear and present danger to their professional reputations. You can imagine the horror these women felt at the thought of having a walking encyclopedia of nutritional science destroy their credibility live, on stage, recorded for all the world to see. Although the conference was not intended to be a debate, panelists would be able to challenge each other's statements. With all panelists pushing the same agenda, which would be the case without Nina, there wouldn't be any challenges. Having Nina on the panel meant they'd have to publicly defend their false narratives. They knew they couldn't do that, and Nina would make mincemeat out of them, thus destroying their reputations. The only option they had was to avoid an open public debate. Considering that the British Medical Journal has estimated 40% of scientific studies are not valid, not scientifically factual, and some estimates are as high as 90%, the vibrancy of debate would seem essential, yet the exact opposite is occurring. Another example taken from today's headlines is Steve Kirsch. Steve isn't a household name, so who is Steve Kirsch? Rather than me tell you about Steve, I'm going to share Steve's own words from his Substack introduction. Before I read the intro to you, when Steve references CETF, it means the COVID Early Treatment Fund Steve founded. Steve provided the fund with a million dollars of his own money and had his fellow tech millionaires and billionaires also donate. One of the more well-known donors is Elon Musk. So let's hear Steve tell us about his journey in his own words. Hi, I'm Steve Kirsch. I used to be a high-tech serial entrepreneur before retiring at age 64. I used to believe the FDA, NIH, and CDC were honest organizations. I trusted them. I'm double-vaxxed with Moderna as of March 29, 2021. A month later, I started hearing stories from my friends who reported relatives who died or they themselves became permanently disabled. So I looked into it, and the more I looked the more appalled I became. On May 25th, 2021, I wrote a 250-page article for Trial Site News entitled, Should You Get Vaccinated? A week later, all the scientists on the CETF Scientific Advisory Board resigned, most of them saying I was a menace to society and never to contact them again. I asked them if I made a mistake. They declined to answer. So much for open scientific debate to resolve differences. That's gone. On May 26, as luck would have it, I was on the weekly CCCA Zoom call where Dr. Brian Brittle presented the results of his FOIA request for the Japanese government on the Pfizer mRNA vaccine submission. There, for the first time, we learned that the vaccine doesn't stay in your arm, but transits to all parts of your body to create inflammation and blood clotting everywhere. I was the one who tipped off Robert Malone. On June 10th, I appeared on the famous Dark Horse podcast with Brett Weinstein and Dr. Robert Malone talking about what we had learned, which was the launching point for both of us. As censorship has increased on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, the conversation about the safety and efficacy of vaccines has moved to Substack, Telegram, and Gab. On my Substack, I post timely articles about what is going on. I have no conflict of interest and I cannot be intimidated. They cannot take away my license to practice medicine because I'm not a doctor. I'm worse. I'm an engineer with two degrees from MIT. Close quote. The first thing of which we should take note is, despite Kirsch explicitly asking the 12 scientists who collectively resigned from CETF to engage with him about the science of the matter, 
they refused. They were angry, or at least feigned being angry, calling Kirsch a, quote, menace to society, while at the same time refusing to provide even a shred of evidence supporting that accusation. The collective, simultaneous resignations were obviously meant to send a public message, yet they refused to publicly back up that message by participating in open discourse with Steve. On his Substack page, Steve often mentions that at one time Google ranked him as the world's number one spreader of medical misinformation concerning SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, and the vaccines. He recently mentioned he's now in the number two position. Today, Steve has a standing offer of $1 million to debate him on various points pertaining to the mRNA vaccine safety and efficacy. An independent committee will decide the winner. There have been no takers which I find really odd. For the better part of three years, we watched a parade of so-called experts appear across every form of news outlets, almost hour by hour, sanctimoniously representing themselves as professionals everyone should listen to. How many of these so-called experts were little more than spokesholes promoting the establishment narrative? I ask because equally credentialed professionals who disagreed with the establishment narrative never appeared on any mainstream outlet. The only ones given a voice were the ones parroting whatever the government said. Numerically speaking, how many of these so-called experts appeared across the media? I'm guessing between TV, radio, online appearances, podcasts, and print media, the number is almost certainly in the thousands. So, we have thousands of so-called experts who told the public the establishment narrative was factual and everyone should be obedient to it, Yet not a single one of these experts wants to earn a million-dollar payday by debating a man Google has asserted was the number one COVID misinformation spurter in the world. If the narrative they were pushing was true, and what Steve discusses is false, it should be a walk in the park for them to win the debate and take Steve's money. Yet not one of them is doing that. It's almost as if when they appeared before the American people, they were just playing a role, like an actor, without actually knowing the underlying facts of the science. I should point out that on the list of experts who appeared in the media telling America the establishment narrative was factual and everyone should be obedient, but haven't stepped up to claim Steve's million dollars, are Anthony Fauci and Rochelle Walensky. Remember when Fauci said, quote, A lot of what you're seeing as attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science, close quote. Then it should be a breeze for Fauci to take Steve's money, as well as vindicate himself in terms of the loss of credibility he experienced in the eyes of many Americans. But he's not doing that. Not a single expert in the country, or the world for that matter, is stepping up to take Steve's money. It looks a lot like they know Steve has the facts and the science on his side, and no one will debate him, even for a million dollars because they know the outcome will be they won't get the million dollars, and when the public sees Steve decimate them, their professional reputations will be in shreds. Before I continue, let me encourage you, in this era of big tech censorship, to share this presentation with anyone and everyone you can. I urge you to not just watch it and move on, but watch it and share it. I prefer not to speak of myself in these presentations, but in terms of so-called experts refusing to debate, I have a truckload of personal, relevant experience. As you may know, I'm the author of Income Tax Shattering the Mist, the best-selling book in America, revealing the truth that Congress has never imposed the income tax on ordinary, hardworking Americans, 
And the only reason most Americans believe that is they've been brainwashed by the U.S. government's massive 60-year disinformation campaign to convince you to believe a lie. As you can imagine, there are quite a few so-called tax experts in both government and the private sector who say I'm wrong. Great! (laughs) Then let's debate and see who the public finds credible. Isn't that the way we're supposed to do it in a free country where knowledge is imperative for proper governance? Yet in two decades, not a single one of these so-called experts has agreed to meet me in public debate. To be clear, I'm not talking about some random accountant at a business down the street. I'm talking about people at the pinnacle of the income tax industry. I have invited in writing the following people to debate me concerning to whom the income tax actually applies. The U.S. Secretary of the Treasury. The Commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service. The Assistant Commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service. The Chief Counsel of the Internal Revenue Service. The National Director of the IRS's Criminal Investigation Division. The U.S. Attorney in Charge of the Department of Justice's Tax Division. David K. Johnson, who at the time of the invitation was the tax beat reporter for the New York Times, and numerous CPAs who have written commentaries disparaging the truth of the income tax. In 20 years, not a single taker. Why? Because just as with Nina Teicholz and the National Food Policy Conference, or Steve Kirsch and his million-dollar offer, these so-called tax experts know I'd utterly destroy them in the debate And once the recording was made public, they'd be the laughing stock of their industry, and their careers would effectively be over. There's also another reason. As things stand today, the government's disinformation campaign has been (laughs) incredibly effective. Most Americans have bought the government's false narrative about income tax hook, line, and sinker. They really believe the tax applies to them. So why would these establishment experts rock the boat when everything is going their way? What would happen to the government's false income tax narrative if, as an example, the chief counsel of the IRS couldn't effectively respond to me revealing what the law really says and ended up looking like a big, fat liar in a debate with me? What would happen when that video went viral? As things stand today, hundreds of thousands of Americans have safely left the income tax scam behind with the information in income tax shattering the myths. A public debate with me in the internet age, would almost certainly and quickly drive that number into the millions. At this point, it may be prudent to ask why these so-called experts consistently refuse to debate those with opposing views. The answer is multifaceted. The most significant reason is media outlets agree to the terms under which a guest's appearance takes place. News outlets need so-called experts their viewers and readers will see as credible. And of course, they can't have the same expert on night after night, so they need a stable to draw from. Keeping the stable full requires that outlets never challenge anything experts say. If a network were to begin challenging experts on the air, that network would soon find its stable empty. Then we have the fact that on topics such as SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, and the vaccines, the media is nothing more than the propaganda arm of the government, so outlets only book guests who will say what the government wants said. Professionals that are able to play the role of expert on a broadcast are interviewed in advance to ascertain their position on the subject. Only those who will reinforce the government's propaganda are selected to speak. Those whose positions do not support the government's propaganda are passed over. In this way, an outlet's viewers or readers are given the false impression that all the experts agree 
when in reality the networks are intentionally hiding from their viewers or readers the fact that there is a significant difference of opinion among the experts. Yes, news outlets are intentionally hiding the truth from you. Then we get into high-ranking government officials. They only appear in two circumstances. One is a press conference where they know none of the media outlets will ask any tough questions because the outlets don't want to be excluded from covering future press conferences. Virtually every administration in the last 25 years has banned a network or outlet from press conferences for asking questions the administration didn't want asked. Those occurrences appear in the news for a day or two, and then the network quietly agrees that its reporters won't ask any more tough questions, and the network's reporters are then allowed into press conferences again. The other setting is in media interviews in which the questions that will be asked and not asked are discussed in advance. Media outlets love to claim they don't do this, and that's a lie. If a guest is considered a big ratings draw, as, for example, Fauci, an off-the-record discussion takes place between Fauci's media liaison staffer and a producer of the news show. The producer gives the staffer examples of the kinds of questions the network wants to ask, and the staffer puts forth questions and topics that are out of bounds. If they can't come to an agreement concerning the questions to be asked and not to be asked, the government official won't appear on the show. That said, since Fauci's people wouldn't even bother having that discussion with an outlet that wasn't perceived as friendly and safe, the discussion is really just a formality between allies. Or maybe instead of allies, I should say co-conspirators, because the goal is to ensure these government officials are never challenged on the accuracy or factionalness of what they say. When a government official appears in the media under that sort of agreement, it is, in a very real sense, Nothing more than an assault on the American people with propaganda. Freedom of the press allows the media to engage in hard-hitting journalism that showcases the truth for the American people. And freedom of the press also allows the media to choose to serve as the propaganda arm of the United States government. I leave it to you to determine which one the media does most often. What happens when a government official deviates from that formula? In February 2022, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky took a step outside that safety zone and appeared on Fox News. While Fox didn't ask her any tough questions, they asked her to distinguish how many Americans died from COVID versus with COVID. Walensky gave a non-responsive, rambling answer that ended with the words, quote, those data will be forthcoming, close quote. Rasmussen reports referred to her appearance on Fox as, quote, a shatteringly bad outing outside the protected zone of friendly networks, close quote. Outside the protected zone of friendly networks. That is exactly what we're talking about. These so-called experts won't make an appearance unless it is in a protected zone. Uh, quick side note. As I'm recording this, it's been a year since Walensky said the data would be forthcoming, and the CDC hasn't released that data to the public. Whether it's Nina Teichel's invitation to the National Food Policy Conference, or Steve Kirsch's million-dollar offer to debate him, or my debate challenge to a slew of so-called tax experts, the reason the experts always run like hell is they're lying, and stepping outside their protected zone will reveal them to the public as the liars they are. Given all we've discussed today, is it any wonder most Americans have no clue what they're talking about on many issues? 
As far as I can tell, the vast majority of Americans blindly believe whatever high-ranking government officials say when speaking in a protected environment, such as a press conference. They also blindly believe so-called experts who appear in the media without being challenged on anything they say. I don't think Americans even realize these experts and high-ranking government officials only speak in protected settings where they won't be challenged. I mentioned that I'd challenged quite a number of tax experts to debate me without a single taker. Even as income tax shattering them has spread the truth of the government's income tax scam far and wide across our country. Allow me to be blunt. Every American should know this truth. Further, after knowing for a fact that the government is committing the largest financial crime in world history, you should be telling every other American about it. Do you know why the scam remains successful? Because the government's disinformation campaign has been incredibly successful, coupled with the fact that the American people largely remain silent about it. Who is the founding father to which you find you most relate? Is it Jefferson, Washington, Madison, Samuel Adams, Thomas Paine, John Adams, Tenshkok, Alexander Hamilton? Take a moment to recall the founder you most respect. Got the name? Now ask yourself if that founder would have kept silent about the executive branch of the federal government committing massive fraud against the citizens of the Union. If the answer is no, he would not have remained silent. Why would you? So many Americans hold the deplorable notion that preserving liberty is someone else's job. It's not. There are 332 million of us, and the only reason liberty is slipping away is far too many are weak and lazy, asserting that upholding liberty is someone else's job. If you care about this country, if you care about the ideal of personal liberty, you have a duty to speak out. Freedom isn't free, makes a cool bumper sticker and all, but it works a lot better if you get off your ass and do your part. I'm not talking about marching in front of your legislator's office holding a sign. I'm talking about knowing the facts and then making sure as many of your fellow Americans as possible also know, which requires you to tell them about it. John Locke, one of the great Enlightenment thinkers and the man who perhaps most influenced Thomas Jefferson's thinking on liberty, said, quote, Whenever the legislators endeavor to take away and destroy the property of the people or reduce them to slavery under arbitrary power, they put themselves into a state of war with the people. Close quote. Endeavor to take away and destroy the property of the people. That is exactly what the U.S. government has been doing since 1913. And to be clear, it is not an oopsie. The government is knowingly, willfully, and intentionally committing the largest financial crime in history— and it's doing so against the American people, against you. And most Americans are sitting on their ever-widening asses doing nothing about it. I'm not asking you to pick up a rifle, as did the Founding Fathers we discussed a moment ago. I'm asking you to read a book. And when you know the truth, tell others. How hard is that? This illegal theft of your property under the false pretense of law can and will end when enough of our fellow citizens know about it. And that requires you to be a part of the solution. Can you think of a time the burden of defending liberty was any lighter than reading a book and telling others the truth? Go to drreality.news, drreality.news. Take a look at the reviews. The direct link to the store is in the notes. 
see what readers have said about income tax shattering the myths. Then put it in the cart and check out, and your copy will be on, the, on its way to you within 24 hours. While you're there, take a look at body science, which explains why the United States is the most ill society in all of human history and how you and your family can steer clear of that mess. Just yesterday, I was on a business call, and the first thing the gentleman said to me was, thank you for his parents becoming amazingly healthy and getting off 100% of the big pharma meds they were taking before reading Body Science. I can't tell you how great that makes me feel. That is exactly why I wrote Body Science. I want my countrymen to know how they've been lied to and manipulated into being sick. And with that revealed, how simple it is to leave that crap behind and get amazingly healthy. To get income tax shattering the myths and or body science, go to drreality.news, drreality.news. Lastly, by purchasing a copy of Income Tax Shattering the Myths and or Body Science, you help me to continue to be here for you with these thought-provoking presentation. Thanks for being here. Take care. 